There's never been a better time to be alive. And whatever the metrics you choose, the world is on its all-time high. So why living seems sometimes so hard? Here I ask people in the forefront of building the future their reasons to be optimistic and the challenges they see ahead. I'm Mauro Rebelo, biotech scientist and entrepreneur, and this is the All-Time High Podcast. Shona McCarthy is an artist from Northern Ireland and the CEO of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe Society, the greatest open access arts festival in the world. She also sits on the board of several cultural centers and events following her vocation to lead and develop projects through internationally engaged cultural practice. In this episode, we talk about the challenge of increasing inequality in a fast-moving world and the transformational power of arts. I really enjoyed talking to Shona, and I hope you will enjoy the conversation too. Shona, thank you so much for doing this. Actually, I'm, I'm going to give an introduction of you and, and of the, the episodes uh, offline so we can um, jump directly to the, uh, to the topic. And my first question is where you are right now, but in the sense of where you're living and where you were born, where you're from, Okay, so I was born in the north of Ireland, um, which is the part of Ireland that is still part of the UK. Um, so I was born there in 1968, and I worked there for almost 30 years in the arts and cultural sector. I now work and live in Scotland, in Scotland's capital city, Edinburgh. And I am there because I'm the chief executive of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe which is, I think, the biggest performing arts festival in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, it's connected to Ireland and my growing up experience in that I always wanted to work on arts projects that were about social change or about regeneration of places. And I think the Edinburgh Fringe um, is probably one of the best examples of a festival that is connected in and rooted to the city that it's based in and creates real change and real opportunities for the artists and creatives in that city. So that's probably the connection. Great. And when you look at the world, do you think that the world is getting better or it's getting worse? And and how which metrics or which uh, um, arguments you use to characterize better or or worse? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a difficult question for me because I, I am uh, usually an optimist by nature. Um, so I usually come at things from a very positive perspective. And so there are definitely aspects of the world that I think are much better and much more positive. Um, you know, we don't have world wars at the minute, for example. We don't have, um, we, you know, we have uh, incredible advancements in science and in treatments of illness and 
even kind of currently looking at how the world has responded so rapidly to the pandemic and how quickly vaccinations were um, brought to the fore. So I think there's lots of positive things. Um, but having said that, there are such major concerns, I think, in the world right now um, that, that cause me to be less optimistic. Um, and obviously the changes to our environment and the, the, the climate crisis um, is certainly one of those. Um, I'm deeply concerned about that, about what human beings are, are doing to the, the planet. Um, I, I'm deeply concerned about how our growth as a species has taken more and more from the planet on which we all live and whether we can redress some of the imbalances that that has brought about. Um, so that causes that's a big cause of concern, and um, another cause for concern, I think, is there's something in our political leadership um, at the moment in different parts of the world, from Brazil to the, the UK to Russia, that to North Korea, that also causes me some deep concern, and um, and I. I, I I don't think our populations have a big enough grasp of politics and how they can influence change. Um, so we end up with leaders who I don't think are fit for purpose uh, and who have very um, selfish agendas. Okay, you kind of answered the next question, but I'm going to uh, um, I'm going to ask a, a question out of the script. Um, you're bringing these important questions, but um, would you say that the, this perception of uh, getting better or getting worse should be framed, it should be like inside a time frame, right? Because um, the way I think is that if you look at the world like 50 years ago, the world is better today. And if you look 50 years ago from like 100 years before, 50 years ago was better. And, and if you go like 500 years ago, and then we can probably and mostly say looking at whatever markers or, or uh, metrics, it's getting better. And then if you take a shorter window of time, then you can see this... Uh, um, let's say, the political problems that you listed uh, now, like we are, um, um, you probably can talk about the UK and Brexit, I can talk about um, the, the Brazilian crisis and, and, and the corruption scandals and, and everything. And so what I think is that um, we move forward, but not linearly. So it, it, it's a kind of two steps forward, one step back. And then if you take a, if you take a, a, a picture in time and you look at, uh, maybe you're looking at the one step back instead of the, the positive one step forward. So like, do you think that your analysis could have this, uh, um, this effect, effect of a, a window of time that it, the times that we are living and then they give us this impression of not moving forward. Except that I think just the, the size of population and the rate of growth in 
technology and our need for um, kind of food, our need for um, natural resources from the planet on which we live. All of that seems to be happening at a greater speed today than it has ever done in the past. And therefore, I kind of think you do have to look at a slightly shorter window or a sh shorter time frame. And I suppose the other thing that deeply concerns me about our kind of progress or our su success as a species is that it has a, there's it's not equal. There's no equity. Um, so even as we kind of develop um, uh, and and in some ways positively, everyone every every boat isn't rising. Um, you know the. the there is a kind of very small population of unbelievably wealthy, unbelievably rich people um, who have, you know, hugely luxurious kind of lives and lifestyles. Um, but the difference between them and the poorest people on our planet is absolutely astronomical. Um, so, so, you know, even with kind of positive development, I still think there's massive challenges in terms of equity and access and whether that's to food, to resources, to education, um, to learning, to um, opportunity. Uh, I think there's huge inequity in the world right now. And I don't see that lessening. I just see it increasing. Um, so... So, the, like I said, my, my next question would be, what are the challenges that you see ahead? And you listed uh, um, some of them. Do you see the, the professional, professional choice that you made connected with addressing one of these challenges? And, and how would that be? Um, yeah, I guess I think the professional choice that I've made um, kind of can address actually several of these challenges because I think um, I think the arts and artists and storytellers and creative people um, can be it's probably the arts and the universities to me are the two places that are left where um, where conversations can happen where debate informed and engaged debate can happen and where you can look at things from different perspectives so I see uh, I see artists and creative people as being really important communicators of the challenges of our time. They're, you know, uh, they tell the stories and they do it in a way that's creative and can reach um, large amounts of people. Uh, so there's a kind of educational role in that as well. So, yes, I see the choice that I've made um, to support and promote um, art and creativity as having having a big role to play in terms of education, in terms of access, in terms of encouraging curiosity and questioning and proper uh, analytical thought. Um, in the same way as science does on one level, I think the arts do uh, in a different way. Um, so I think that couldn't, I think it's never been more important. Um, and uh, and also in terms of um, of the climate and um, the environment, I think I think again there's a big role for the arts to play in that. And even my my individual organisation, as 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 one of the kind of major performing arts festivals in the world, we can lead by example. We can develop models of good practice 
um, that have influence and um, and help others um, ap- ap- approach things in a better way, whether that's reduction of travel, reduction of printed materials, um, just doing things in a more sustainable way, making sure that people are fairly paid, um, that we have pr- proper approach to diversity on the stages of our festival. There's, um, yeah, I, I, I directly relate what I do to the small way in which I can try to make a difference to some of the things that I think are the challenges of our time. Uh, there's one thing that you said that I loved, that is that arts is, it's one of the places where debate can still happen. And I think that one of the challenges that we are, uh, and maybe I can even relate more to it because of the difficulties that we're having in having conversations in Brazil, you know, about politics and, and, you know, like many topics. So things are so uh, polarized that it's very difficult to have uh, meaningful conversations uh, in between the, the two sides. And I, I was wondering... Not, this is not peculiar to Brazil in any way, Moro. I mean, you could look yeah, at... And, the, look I can at see it this the United States, the United Kingdom, you know, you're either for Brexit or you're against Brexit. You know, you're either for you know, a, a continuation of the United Kingdom or you're for Scottish independence or for Irish independence. There's, you know, you're either you're either on the side of Trump or you're on the side of Biden, you're Republican or you're Democrat. I mean, it's all across the world. I see these kind of big polarizing and polarized debates. And I think it comes right down to the small and the personal now as well. I think the the whole kind of noise of social media and Twitter and um, just the, there's, there's so much noise and so much reactionary um, exchange that it's kind of, it, yeah, it's pushed, it's pushed to the margins. It's pushed to, art and and education i think as the two spaces left to be able to have nuance the gray areas the you know the yes and i was i was going to like do you have an example do you have any anecdotal uh, example of story of this of a difficult dialogue being uh, um, uh, happening that that wouldn't happen, I don't know, in social media, happening in arts, or if, if a dialogue that wouldn't happen even between you know relatives or, or friends, because those are the groups that I can see polarization doing more harm, right? Like really families being tear apart and 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 groups of friends and 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 sometimes this. Um, I heard this very good comparison is um, it's the diff- is the difference between um, kind of criteria and inflexibility. I don't know exactly how to translate, but rigor in and we should be rigorous and have rigor, but yeah. we should not be inflexible. Yes. And, and the two things can they are similar, but they are not the same. And uh, um, I've been thinking a lot about this in science, but I was wondering if that, you know, is that what you mean? Is is that something that our arts can 
bring to us and and soften these these boundaries, these limits, and and allow. Uh, it's through metaphor. It's through. It's by reducing noising. It's by giving a different perspective. And maybe if you have an example of, you know, you're so involved with this huge festival, you probably do. So, like, I'm I'm wondering. Oh, you put me on the spot now, Moral. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, um, yeah, of a of a good example. Um, Oh, we need to come back. Okay, so I don't want to make this difficult. Would you say the festival is an? Do you see this uh, um, this debate happening in the festival or through the festival or or these different perspectives being created in the festival? Yeah, I mean, the festival is an interesting example because I, you know. I see on the stages of the festival when whether it's um, whether it's comedians or whether it's um, a theatre piece or um, I, I see really interesting subjects being talked about, debated, covered, um, being approached through metaphor, as you say, and and, and you know through a slightly different prism, and I th I think that's. That's great because it does really create the space for conversation and debate um, in a different kind of way. But interestingly, the festival itself has become, I think, this kind of um, almost football in a polarised debate in Edinburgh at the moment because there's a, a cohort or a body of people in Edinburgh who are very conservative in their thinking and who have decided that uh, that there's too much tourism in the city, there's too many people, there's um, too much kind of commercialism associated with the festivals, and they want everything to go back to what it was like 30 or 40 years ago. And uh, and then there's a then there's a, a much bigger cohort who are quieter, but who just love the festivals, really appreciate the festivals, and are completely prepared to accommodate and and. And move around the festivals happening in the city, and um, you know, for three weeks every year. So you've got this debate, right? And it's really hard to get a sensible conversation about it because the the ones who are kind of you know believe that the city's overpopulated say things like, um, "Well, there are four and a half million additional people who come to Edinburgh for these festivals every year." But the truth is. That there are four and a half million tickets sold, but that does not mean there are four and a half million additional people. Far from it. But that's where that's where facts get twisted, and uh, in order to suit a preconceived sort of story that that people want to tell. And I found it quite difficult in the last in the last two years to find a middle space for a conversation that's sensible, that's based on fact, and that that we can come together and actually create an environment that everybody feels happy to progress with. So that's a kind of, that's a tangible, real example that I'm living with right at the moment. And I, it's kind of, uh, it's one of the things I find frustrating that, that um, even in this arts landscape, uh, you can be in this polarized debate. Yes, it's, how how much of it do you think is just like uh, taste, a, a matter of taste? Because when I think about um, 
things that people like or that they don't like i understand that it we should try to avoid prejudice or deal with it in a um, in a controlled way but there's also a space for taste in the sense i like this i don't like that and 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 it's not that i uh, i have prejudice against it i just don't like like i prefer to go to the sea than to go to the mountains even though like i i like to go to the mountains but i prefer to go uh, uh to the sea so there's preference there's um do you think there's a component of uh of this or we are like this all this noise and this polarization uh took away this space and now it's like just preconceived ideas bias and and yeah i mean i'd, I'd say it's a bit of both um in that uh, <laughs> You know, I remember when I was in my early 20s and my very first job was running a children's film festival in Belfast. And at that time, I couldn't get the Arts Council of Northern Ireland to fund or to support the festival because film wasn't, um, wasn't considered to be an art form. I mean, that's inconceivable today that film wouldn't be considered an art form. But that's part you know that's my lived experience and that's the journey that i've traveled and um, so there are those kind of in edinburgh and in that space now who um yeah <laughs> um who also um who who I, and i guess it's partly kind of it's partly the media and how the media portray things as well so still if you see if you see something on the BBC, for example, that's about the arts, inevitably you will get a picture of a classical musician, an opera singer, or someone who is doing ballet. So when people see that enough, they then kind of determine that that's what the arts, that's what the arts are. So there are definitely people, even in the Edinburgh landscape, who don't consider comedy to be an art form don't consider cabaret to be an art form, don't consider street performance to be serious enough to be considered the arts. So there's definitely an element of conservatism, there's an element of taste, there's an element of being told often enough that this is what art means, so therefore that's what your preconceived notion is. So when you're presented with something else, like the Edinburgh Fringe, which has street performance, cabaret, you know, circus, comedy, theatre, dance, music, it's got and it's got it from kind of amateur level to top professionals and you know in their careers. Um, that's challenging for somebody who has a preconceived notion of the arts that's about opera, ballet and classical music, because that's what they've been told to expect for years. Okay. Um, we could go on and on. I know you have to go. So I'm going to jump to the three rapid fire questions. So the first one is, which book are you reading right now? Oh, I've literally just finished Girl, Woman, Other um, by Bernadine Evaristo. Um, and actually just saw her read from her new book in London last night. So yeah, it was a brilliant book. I loved it. Oh, great. And the second is, do you have short or long lunch breaks? 
Oh, I don't generally speak and don't really have lunch breaks at all. Moro was usually a sandwich or a bowl of soup at, at my desk with the laptop. So it, it does answer the question. Yeah. And the last one, Bitcoin. Are you a believer or a non-believer? Do you know, I am a, a confused agnostic is what I am. Uh, and even when brilliantly eloquent people like yourself have explained to me what Bitcoin is, I still have no more real understanding of it today than uh, than I did two years ago, Moro. So um, I'm agnostic on that one because I don't, I still don't quite understand it. Wow, you okay? Great answer, question answer. But you do have to, I, I, you do have to understand because I think there's it could have a strong impact on your festival, on the way that uh, art, the way that art is going to be commercialized and and value and the interaction with the artists is going to happen in the future will will go uh, through this so thank so you so much Shona is there is there somewhere that uh, on the internet that people should go to learn more about you or what you're doing or you know like get in touch to try to help yeah, they can go on to www.edfringe.com and you can hear all about the work that we do at the Fringe Society in Edinburgh and um, all about our future plans. And Moro, you and I will have to book a date where you can talk me through uh, an idiot's guide to Bitcoin. Um, so let's get that one set up. It will be my pleasure. <laughs> Alrighty, Moro. Great to see you. I will have to. Yes, great to see you too. Thank you so much, Shona. Take care. I'm going so to... much. Okay.